How long has it been since you've been on Elm Street? Welcome to a brand new nightmare. Welcome back to Scream 101. I'm Brennan. Hi, Brennan. I'm Sergio. Hi, Sergio. Uh, I'm going to act like my computer didn't freeze in the middle of a recording, and we're redoing this part all over again. Let's talk about some 10-word reviews of stuff we haven't seen in the last week that I've never heard before. Hooray! <laughs> okay. Time to recapture some of that Hollywood magic. Mm-hmm. Um, so Venom is our first feature, which we saw on what... Oh, we saw it on Redbox. <laughs> Did we see it at the Redbox specifically? No, we look, we can't try to recreate our old jokes. They were magic and they will never arrive again. That's the beauty of live theater. We will have to explore new spaces and find completely new jokes that work for us. Maybe jokes based around my extreme frustration right now and the steam coming out of my ears. You got to chill, man. Just chill. I know. Take a breather. Relax. Okay. <gasps> Breathe in the good air. Let out the venom. <laughs> oh, so, good transition. So venom. Uh, Tom Hardy's infectious venom delights all and angers Brennan. Perfect. <laughs> and my review, true to form, um, I guess uh, as foreshadowed, um, not even Tom Hardy's crazy accent can save this slog. All right. So now we're on to Anna the Apocalypse. Anna and the Apocalypse. What did I say? It just, it all kind of blends together. It was like, Anne and the Apocalypse. <laughs> a little orphan Annie in the Apocalypse. Um, she didn't have a mother, uh, so yeah. All right, so a singing horror smorgasbord of creativity that rarely falls flat. Ooh, and that could be like a pun about singing, too. No, it was. Or It, it could remember, be, and it was. <laughs> if you remember the first time I did my review. I don't. <laughs> it was a singing horror smorgasbord of creativity that rarely hits high notes. Ooh. But there was oh, a second so, half. so you made it more positive also. Yeah. Because um, it's, it's perfectly in between, you know? Uh-huh. But I needed to get to 10 words, so. Fair enough. So well, it doesn't have to be exactly. Oh, oh, you need to, oh, you need to cut down. I did. I remember that review actually being weirdly long. I just didn't comment on it. Yeah. So I'm glad you fixed your mistakes. So now we, we people will only know the perfect version. Editing. It's what people do. It's what we writers do. <laughs> it's what I make Brennan do. In my review, it, mean, it means, I, wow, I can't talk right now. Anna in the Apocalypse has its flaws, but a delicious Christmas horror stocking stuffer. Yeah, I agree with that. Thank you. Um, so what's our next movie? Our next review is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I'm, I'm only asking because you wrote Spider-Verse on mine, and I know that's not the name, Brennan. Well, if you know, shouldn't you just know the name? Because we saw it like a couple days ago. We saw it like a week ago. Um, we saw it literally a week ago. Okay. So Spider-Verse. Um, He's true- not a spider top or a spider bottom. He's Spider-Verse. <laughs> See, all of the tonight's failures were worth it for that joke. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Brennan. Um, so Spider-Man <laughs> into the Spider-Verse. A truly visually arresting movie that soars above its live action brethren. And my review is transcendently gorgeous animation, engaging and diverse storyline, 
What gives, Venom? There's a lot going on in that review. There is. Um, also, Venom I know is, how to make my ten words count. You just certainly do. You're like Joan Didion. Yep. Of horror. Um, I'm like uh, Ernest Hemingway with that tiny, tiny story about baby shoes. Yeah, you're right. Um, my favorite parody of that is For Sale, Boss Baby Suit, Never Worn. <laughs> um, I like the one where it's uh, baby shoes and then the plums as well. I have no idea what you're talking about. Tell me about these plums. It's I don't know. It's like a weird short, like a poem with plums or something. Is it one where he sticks his thumb in some plums? Or that's a fairy tale. That's a I nursery rhyme. I would have to look it up. I can't recall um, because I have terrible memory now into my old age. Um, anyways, Brennan, you know what's cool? What all the kids are doing right now? Reading the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street 4? No, before oh. I hit that. Oh, but that's okay. what the cooler kids are doing. <laughs> the ones ahead of the game. Okay. The ones who are a little bit behind. What they like to do is... Um, first off, go back to the fact that you said that Venom is is bad. Uh huh. I was referring to live action movies like the Spider Mans from Andrew Garfield's. Uh huh. Those were some bad movies. Okay, I never saw those, so maybe I was poised to not like Venom because it, I did not have the framework of understanding that it's superior to those efforts. All right, cool. And then another thing that the cool kids are doing sure. is saving. I hear that the kids save early and save often. Yes, hold on. Yeah, you know. I'm going to pause it and save it. I have been saving periodically. Though. Okay. And we're back. And now to Sergio with sports. Um. So uh, the Philadelphia Eagles are still soaring high. <laughs> um. Tell me more. Tell me about the Utah Jazz. What are they up to? Um. They're shucking and jiving. Is that what jazz people do? I have no idea, Brennan. I don't know why you would expect me to know anything about jazz or sports. Uh, well, you you did so well. You had your Eagles pun just ready to go. Um, I was going to transition to gritty, so you threw me a, a ball from left field. How are you going to transition? I mean, look, I brought up a sport. Gritty is from Philadelphia. I just, okay, but he's not of the Eagles. Well, he's from Philadelphia. He's like friends with the Eagles. He's like their distant cousin. Did they write a song about him? Did they write Take a- it easy. It was written about <laughs> gritty. The Philadelphia Eagles? No, this is okay. This joke has been lost, but you know the Eagles are also a band. We should just cut this all out. No, this it's just solid nonsense. gold. The kid stays in the picture, and by that I mean our shitty jokes stay in the podcast. Okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, here's the plot of Nightmare on Elm Street Four: The Dream Master, uh, as read off of Google. <laughs> um, oh, now Sergio's just lifting weights for some reason. Things have gone completely awry. That's how I started the last podcast, remember? No, no. That, that has been lost to memory and time. I've erased it from my now brain. Like, I'm working for new progress, so ask me about my new progress. Never mind. Go ahead, Brian. Continue. Yep. Here the is... The joke cannot replicate it. No, you can't. Grotesque Freddy Krueger gives some more suburban teenagers something to dream about. So, you know, clearly you get everything you need from that plot synopsis so we can move right on ahead, just charge straight on into the movie discussion. Or, you know, we should probably talk about the plot because they gave us nothing. Um, Give me your Cliff Notes version. Yeah, in a nutshell, um, we actually do pick up with three of the characters from Dream Warriors. Uh, Kristen, who was formerly played by Patricia Arquette, but is now played by the pornishly named Tuesday Night. Either that or that's her, like, drag queen name. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, Robert England is in drag at one point in this movie, and it's wonderful. Um, Freddie confirmed for queer. <laughs> um, he's queering this space, and I appreciate that. Um, 
what the hell was I talking about? Oh, the plot. Yeah. So um, we also get Kincaid, who is strong and annoying, and then Joey, who exhibits no dream powers except for being extremely horny. Yeah. Um, they are summarily murdered in the first act, and they give way to Alice Johnson, who is a shy young woman living under a kind of abusive alcoholic father and like emotionally sort yeah. of it, like controlling and distant uh-huh. that plot line though i feel like it teeters off like she should have sure overcome does. it at some point you know she should have she told could... her dad what's what but she never really did no yeah you're right she didn't um but anyway so we get alice johnson she's shy life is dragging her down she daydreams a lot about ways that her life could be different uh-huh. and this kind of power of daydreaming may or may not be linked to the fact that she can like now suck in other people's dream powers. So when Kristen pulls her into a dream um, where Freddy ends up killing her, um, Alice is now the target of Freddy and he's manipulating her to use her newfound Kristen approved uh, dream drag power to drag her friends into her dreams so Freddy can kill them. Mm -hmm. Basically it's a whole, it's a whole thing. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated and doesn't really need to be. Yeah, apparently in this movie, Freddy needs to feed. You know, he needs so- the souls of teenagers just to to survive. I don't know about that. I think he you would just get bored. You know, he's killed the last of the Elm Street kids, and now what? Like his whole it it is like it is like those like soldiers who return to war and all they know is or return home from war and, <laughs> and all they know is war. And it's like, what do they do now? They can't just like go back to being an accountant or something. And then, you know, I just, you don't want Freddie to go through that. Do you? That'd be a really depressing movie. Just him like sitting in a dream cubicle, just like I think typing in the numbers, to, to, just pulling that little crank, like in the producers. Great, but yes, and, I see what you're saying. No, I'm not saying all veterans are like that, but there are certain people that are like think the things that are all they know, and then they stop happening. Mm-hmm. Um, He's an empty nester. That I think that's why people collect VHS tapes. If we're being honest. Anyway, so what, what a journey <laughs> it took us on there. <laughs> anyway. So, you know, Freddy needs people to kill because he's going to get so bored. Why can't he just pick up crochet? He has the needle hands for it. Ooh, I love that. He should just be doing that. I would love new gif alert. Let's make some crochet Freddy Krueger hands. Anyway, so he wants to kill the friends. He mostly does. Um, Alice kind of steals their dream powers and makes a beautiful dream power stew and turns into the dream master guardian of the sacred gate or some shit that Bob, Bob Shea in a cameo is telling us about in dream class. He's, she's literally, she's sitting in class. He is talking, he's a teacher Mm -hmm. and he's talking about like, there are these two gates there's the positive dream gate and the negative dream gate. And also there's Watergate, but he didn't mention that. So I guess it's not a history class. Um, <laughs> and he talks about how someone's the dream master who has to protect all this stuff. And I don't understand it. And what class is this? He teaches AP dreams. And that's all you need to know. Anyway, she's the dream master. She uses her powers to destroy Freddy Krueger. The end. So I'm, that was a lot. And just a lot. I'm having a time. <laughs> Um, yeah, so if you didn't get all of that, um, I'm going to recap it in a much nicer way. There will be a quiz. This is AP Dreams. <laughs> Fine, give me a quiz. What's question number one? Okay, question number one. Who is the Dream Master? Alice. No, incorrect. The answer must be in the form of a question. <laughs> what is Alice? Exactly. 
Alice is a, a sitcom about a waitress. Is it? Yeah. Why? Are, this is just weird. <laughs> oh. uh, okay, so. let, let's. We rate every. We rate these movies on scariness, <laughs> campiness, effects, and quality. <laughs> oh man. Um. What's your scariness ranking? Give me one sec. I'm gonna pause and save again. Okay, go. My scariness. Is the name of a band known for their quirky music videos. Okay, go. My scariness rating is a three. <laughs> um, I really enjoyed um, the fact that it was a sequel to the previous movie. Um, that allowed me to care about what happened to these characters because I uh, remembered them from the last one, which mm-hmm. is saying something because I remember nothing from these these movies we've been watching. Uh-huh. Yeah, having a month in between them, I've noticed, is, is kind of rough sometimes. You, you miss details. Yeah. Um, so there was a sense of fear for them and I guess that heightened my, my fear, my scariness rating for this yeah. movie. Yeah. So like you already have an established relationship with these characters cause they are in continuity, mm-hmm. give or take a Patricia Arquette or two. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. Were you upset or sad in any way when they died? I mean, they all died pretty quickly yeah. to make room for the new meat, um, and the new characters that I'm supposed to care about. So... I wasn't upset that they died so quickly. I was upset that Alice was just so pointless in learning how to use her powers. Because Patricia Arquette's character in the last movie, like, she was on it. Like, she figured it out in, like, lockstep. Um, Well, these kids already, they had, you know, been having conversations. They knew Freddy was there and kind of generally what he could do. And Alice is just thrown into this. She's just a normal, shy little girl. Okay, I would with accept a mirror that covered for, like, in pictures. The first two deaths that she brought in, but then she just kept sucking people in, just just kept happening, and she was just really useless to me. I think she's more a victim of the editing and scripting of this movie than anything. Um, but I, I can see what you're saying. Uh-huh. For me, scariness wise, I'm going to give this a two out of five. I think there is one scene in particular that I think Wes Craven would be proud of, even though he pretty notoriously didn't love these crazy sequels. Um, It's a scene where Kristen's mom is trying to help her, but in a really twisted, insidious way. She feeds her sleeping pills, and she does not realize that she has literally just consigned her daughter to death. And it's a a sequence of Kristen realizing this and realizing she's going to die. Mm -hmm. Um, Along with that, like, classic Wes Craven suburban generational discord, there's that moment of just kind of realization and anger and fear and that got it, it's creepy like uh it, it's an it's a pretty intense moment mm-hmm. um and that that definitely affected me anyway and that leads us to what now brennan that leads us to campiness okay let's slide right on in to second base which is the campiness base what's your score um campiness gets a four Yes, um, campiness is probably the most powerful aspect of this movie. Is there a scene in particular that stands out to you? Uh, super. Well, the scene that has I've seen outside of this film is where Freddie puts on a cool pair of Ray Bans and just just you know feeling shady. Yeah, that that scene has definitely lived on in GIF format much more than any other part of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that's great. I mean, th- this is the one where Freddy really pivots into being the clownish, funny character mm-hmm. that makes quips. His quips aren't particularly strong in this one, other than um, 
when he kills uh, Joey in the waterbed as a topless woman, he does the, uh, how's this for a wet dream? Uh-huh. Um, beyond that, his, his quips are weak. And, I mean, they're nothing on Dream Warriors level. They're they're above Dream Child level, but we'll get to that next week. <laughs> yeah, his next dia- yeah, his dialogue didn't really do it for me in this one. Um, but, again, I was more interested in the kids. Yeah, no, the kids are fun. This movie is crazy. Look, it was directed by Rennie Harlan, who did Die Hard 2, um, and Deep Blue Sea, and uh, one of those dumb Exorcist prequels that um, Paul Schrader did the other one of. Covenant? Yeah, he did The Covenant, which, oof, hot trash. Which was reviewed on this very podcast. Was it? I don't know, maybe. Oh, we did a 10-word review of it. We must have. Um, Anyway, we watched that on Halloween, and it was just bad. Um Anyway, so Rennie Harlan doesn't necessarily make good movies, but what he does do well is make loud movies. And lots of explosions. Yeah, movies full of explosions and fire. There's literally a scene where um, Alice wakes up from a dream and then the windows behind her explode Mm -hmm. (laughs) for no reason in real life, which shouldn't be how it works. But things are just exploding and just never revisited. I feel uh-huh. very sorry for the maintenance worker who has to replace all the windows in this school. Uh-huh. Um, the AP Dreams class had to like relocate. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> Another very campy scene was the resurrection scene involving Freddy, in which, for some reason, uh, Kincaid's dog is involved. Named Jason, for reasons I think you can assume. Um, so the dog... Like, he brings back Freddy, but only by peeing on his grave. Um, with what? With pee? Oh, with fire. It's fire, He my pees friend. fire. It's um, Jason the fire pissing dog at your service. Yeah. It says it on his little <laughs> his little business card. Mm-hmm. Um, and then what was even more perplexing than that uh, was the fact that the dog seemed to be confused as to whether or not he supported Freddy or was doing this to bring him back or whatever. Yeah, because he definitely seemed like a conscious agent in bringing Freddy back because he yeah. turned all evil and he was snapping and biting at Kincaid. The dog was imperative to bring him back Freddy. Yes, but then the dog is scared as soon as Freddy shows up. Yeah, like Freddy's corpse, like the ground is breaking apart and the dog is just barking at it. And then like you see his corpse reanimate and you see the dog still barking and growling. And he's like, he's, oh, I got to hit the hit the slopes what do dogs hit do the, <laughs> they go skiing a lot so that's right you're good um hit the brakes <laughs> so the dog leaves he shakes the spot um, just like his tail his cute little tail i don't remember his tail was it a nice tail no dogs shake their tails okay they, they wag their tails fair point he wags the spot <laughs> wags spot on is wags a dog's off. name yeah are you okay i'm having a moment <laughs> You're going to have people thinking that you're the one with the alcohol problem now. Okay. You don't have a problem. You have been drunk on this podcast multiple times, but I wouldn't call it, I wouldn't label it a problem. No, but my New Year's resolution is to have less, is to imbibe less. New Year, new me. Um, I remember, I distinctly remember you saying earlier you were going to imbibe nothing, no alcohol in the coming year. Have you walked that back already? No, I haven't walked it back. I'm just saying, you know, less, less is a form of none, right? Yeah, it's like a square rectangle situation. There you go. Thank you. You're welcome. I just wasn't being selective with my words because it's 10 o'clock at night. And this podcast goes live in like four hours. And I don't know how we're going to do it, Brennan. (laughs) 
I've, I've decided to buy the flowers myself. <laughs> um, anyway, so stuff explodes. Um, what Mrs. else? Ramsey, Mrs. Okay, that's fun. We're just quoting um, Virginia Woolf novels now. Yep. Continue. So anyway, so yeah, 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 yeah. So things explode. Things are crazy. Things are loud. Um, everything is splashed with this cherry red or lime green light because get it, Freddy Krueger's colors. Um, but yeah, so there, there is one part that I will say, I remembered this because I was going to mention how there are two needle drops of the song, anything, anything by drama Rama in this movie. <laughs> um, cause this movie is built more around a soundtrack than it is a plot or characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but those two moments come whenever our, our main character's brother is doing his karate, which leads to a lot of those it was a different time moments Mm -hmm. because there's very japanese inflected things he calls her alice san when he's trying to teach her stuff it's very karate kid and very orientalist in a very uncomfortable way there's literally they play the nightmare on elm street theme on one of those like asian flutes at one point, like when he's going into a karate dojo, it's a mess. It's not a huge part of the movie, thankfully, but it's a little ridiculous and insensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, it's campy, but not in a good way. That's the toxic kind of campy. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's move on. What's your effects score? Effects is a four. <gasps> four bordering on five. Okay. Because the effects are bananas. Oh, yeah. This is an effects-driven movie. So in our last review of this movie, we talked about how... Um, their little souls were popping out of Freddy at one point. Uh huh. Um, and you see all like a bunch of hands just like going everywhere and grabbing at them, and you also see like uh a bear, a pair of just boobs bursting out of him. Yeah, as played by Linnea Quigley. (laughs) Hi Um, there, Linnea. mm -hmm. Collect those paychecks. Good work. And we've already mentioned the dog peeing fire. That's a pretty good effect. That poor dog. Mm -hmm. I hope he's fine. The reanimated corpse was another effect that was cool. Um, all the explosions in that scene, the cars just kept coming out and bursting. Um, a sandcastle explodes at one point. Oh, I haven't yes. seen that happen in my day. Uh, what are some other effects? I have a question. Um, cause you, you ha- kind of have your limit with effects. How did the scene where the girl has her arms broken and turns into a cockroach? How did that treat you? You know what? what? It did not disturb me. Okay, so you were you were there for it. I wasn't there for it, but you it were didn't. like, yeah, turn her into a cockroach. I wasn't. Yes, Freddy's the one true queen. It kept me guessing. Let's Snaps just say that for Freddy, I did not see what was happening originally. I was grossed off when her arms broke apart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I was reminded of um, just like general sports related injuries. Uh-huh. Um, and like if you've ever seen those on live TV, they tend to be pretty disgusting. Um, so that's what I imagined. Um, uh, them to be mm-hmm. but then she started growing out limbs and I was like what the fuck is happening and then eventually I noticed that she was becoming a roach and that uh-huh. she was stuck in a roach motel and so I was like well it's a pretty creative way to die or yeah. to kill somebody off no absolutely and those effects were provided by Screaming Mad George who we previously discussed on the podcast in one of the best Children of the Corn films Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest he, yep. pro- he provided the crazy effects that redeemed that movie the monster thing yeah, the big uh, corn monster, that kid whose like spine pulls out and turns into like a big the thing esque creature. Uh-huh. That hobo head buried in the dirt. Oh, there's some great stuff. Let's watch that movie again. Let's do it. Um, and the rest of this episode just becomes an hour and a half long commentary on Children of the Corn Three. It, we can be like the People's Couch, except it'll be the People's Pod. Yeah, for sure. 
Um, it's like we're we're next door to you, and you can listen through the wall, wall as we watch a movie, which our neighbors often have to put up with. Well, that, yeah, but we also have to put up with them because they're very loud. We listen to the, we listen to them watch the Freaky Friday musical, which was delightful. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so <laughs> Screaming Mad George, great. I will say there is some very bad editing around the effects. Um, like certain shots are framed very conspicuously in ways to hide seams and effects. Um, and certain things are edited very choppily, um, to try and make effects work. And that's something you might not notice if you're not as into like film, you know, the creation of it. I didn't notice anything. So I guess you're right. But I mean, and then there's like, there's a scene where Alice is doing nunchucks and her stunt double has a very brunette wig instead of her very vivid red hair. Mm -hmm. And... There, there are just some, some kind of cruddier. Yeah, um, you're right that those things are bad, um, and they are noticeable because I did notice that once you pointed it out. So I guess I didn't notice that on my own. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but had I noticed it on my own, like that's the kind of thing I can suspend belief for. Yeah, uh, no, look, I, I can be there for it, but I did notice that there were like these random kind of quick cuts in the middle of sequences that kind of uh, inhibited the motion of the scene, and I was like, oh, they did that for an effect. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly it's great. There's a scene where she gets sucked into a black and white movie in a movie theater. That part's fun. Oh, it's cool. Um, there's a lot of really cool stuff. Like, um, there's a small part where Sheila, the nerd gets her hand, like sucked into a desk. And I was literally just like, I have no idea how they did this. Mm -hmm. Um, there's some cool stuff. Anyway, what's your general quality score for this movie? I'm going to give it a three. Okay. Um, that's actually where I'm landing too. When I originally reviewed this, I probably would have given it a four. Uh-huh. Um, when I originally reviewed this, I liked it more than part three, which now I'm looking <sighs> back at past. What? I know. Now I'm looking back at past me and being like, okay, chill. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm landing on three as well. Um, yeah. For me, uh, it comes down to the final girl. She's not that interesting. Um, I'm more oh, interested. I'm so upset by this, but keep going. Um, are you upset by my take on it or are you upset by her? No, I'm upset by the fact that you don't like her because I love Alice Johnson, and I will explain why in a minute. Um, the only thing I like about her is her choice in men. Um, <laughs> Dan is very attractive, Dan and he has very, beautiful eyebrows. He's a handsome man. Um, he's very generic looking. He's like, um, I guess, an 80s Antony. Um, <laughs> you know? Without the bags under the eyes. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the equivalent of that. Like, Antony is all that is generic gay right now, and he would be generic straight back in those days. Yes. I'm going to pause one more time. But outside of her interests, uh, or her male interests, I would say that she's just really boring. I like that one scene she has in the end where she takes a part of all the people who've died and, you know, becomes this new empowered woman. Yes. Um, but I dislike how they had to die in order for her to, to become that. I'm like, okay, couldn't you have picked up the pace a little bit to save some lives, you know? Yeah, no, look, I, I get that aspect of it, and her friends, especially in the beginning, are much more interesting than she is. Uh-huh. Couldn't have had a little fashion montage earlier, sweetie, you know? Ah. Um, but no, the thing is, actually, I literally, I wrote an, an article on my Dread Central column about this movie and about this character arc. Um, Which I totally read. Oh, for sure. Thank you so much. Uh, you follow my works really closely, and I appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I, I think Alice Johnson's character arc is one of the coolest final girl arcs i've ever seen mm-hmm. um because not only is it like a great transformation from someone who's really weak-willed and shy into someone who's powerful and can destroy a dream monster mm-hmm. um 
And but it also incorporates the fact that look, slasher movies have to have a lot of kills. They have to have characters who die. That's part of the format. Uh-huh. And they all build towards something in this. My there's a really beautiful, like kind of elegant, much more subtle than this movie would indicate that it was capable of being visual metaphor, mm-hmm. um, which is her her mirror is covered in pictures. Oh yeah, of that was cool. And in the beginning, um, her brother's like why is your mirror completely covered in pictures? You can't even see yourself. And she Mm -hmm. says, I don't want to. Mm -hmm. And she seems like calm and not like sad about that, but that she just has no identity. She's uh, completely empty and she's just shy and she's not living her life. Mm -hmm. And it takes her friends dying. She literally gains a part of them. She gains their dream powers or whatever, like their nerdiness or their, exercise or their martial arts prowess mm-hmm. but she learns from her friends to gain confidence she's inspired by them mm-hmm. and as each one dies she removes more of the pictures from her mirror and eventually reveals herself her entire face mm-hmm. her entire being mm-hmm. she has taken parts from everyone she has learned lessons from everyone to become a whole person and to like enact her power. And I think that's a really beautiful thing mm-hmm. in this movie. And I think about it all the time. I really love Alice Johnson. Okay. Um, I think it's a, a surprisingly powerful metaphor for self-actualization in high school. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm sad you don't like appreciate it as much. Um, it's definitely, is not an incredibly well thought through uh-huh. plot, and especially towards the middle one, we're just slamming through kills. Mm-hmm. She's not given a lot to do mm-hmm. with that, um, but I really like it. Um, I think if you're looking at that specific part of it, it's fine. Um, I can totally see where you get that, you know, that reading from. Uh, but one thing that did kind of turn me off of the movie and that's just a part of the script is the fact that we never really got anything with her and her father. Like um, no, no closure. Yeah. Um, it seemed like it was just kind of like a, like an ordinary thing by the end of it. Like whatever issue she had with him, he was just like her father and wasn't that big of a deal because, you know, Freddie was a much bigger fish to fry. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So, it, it got too bogged down with its plot mechanics. Uh-huh. So they did a good job of establishing that she was this weak and meek person because I could totally see why she would be reserved, you know, given her circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, however, uh, I don't think that it necessarily followed up with that same idea. Okay. I, I can totally agree with you. This movie has very poor follow through. Um, there's, it, it's kind of slapdash. Like it was made in about a year. Mm-hmm. Um, and for a movie that's such an effects showcase and spectacle, that's pretty shocking. Um, so there's a lot that kind of flies off the rails and doesn't really m- seem whole. Mm-hmm. And there's stuff like, I mean, there's, some shoddy stuff like the stuff that was kind of like cutting around the effects like I was telling you about Rennie Harlan misses some stuff directorially there is a shot of um, a Christian on the beach but then the sand turns into quicksand which is a cool like visual motif of a nightmare like yeah. when um, Nancy stairs turn into oatmeal um, but it's shot from like in this weird wide shot like through Freddie's legs which Rennie Harlan loves to do Um he shoots this movie like it's the poster to the slumber party massacre. <laughs> um, but it, it's just, 
you don't get the full effect of what's happening to her because it, it's just framed so poorly. Mm-hmm. It's such a weird choice. Um, but then there's some really fun, like, little touches, like, in the middle of the nightmare during when Sheila's taking her test. There's this shot from above, and all the tiles on the floor have suddenly become this weird, like, M.C. Escher pattern, like, radiating out from Sheila. Mm-hmm. And that's a really cool touch. Um, I guess that's maybe thanks to the production design. But there, there's a weird combination of completely inelegant, loud trash and, like, kind of subtle, fun stuff in this movie. Mm-hmm. So I think it's totally worth looking at, but it is very messy. Mm-hmm. Oh. So we've agreed. Yeah, sure. Right, so we're going to overall. Five. We're what? going to overall. We did. Yeah, okay. yeah this, is, this is the end. Uh, I'm going to tell you what's what's up next week, but first, here's how you can get in contact with the show. You can find us on Twitter at Scream101Pod. You can find us on Facebook at Scream101Podcast. You can email us at Scream101Podcast at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe, rate, and review. Uh, give us five stars, why don't you? Because uh, I'm so sad that we have recorded this episode one and a half times. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, that's how you can do that. Next week, we will be finishing up the Children of the Corn franchise with 2018's Children of the Corn Runaway. Ooh. That's going to be cray. We haven't seen that movie yet. I mean, we have. We pre-recorded that. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, we'll be watching it. Stay <laughs> yeah. tuned, friends. Yes. So, yeah, that that's happening. Do you have any guesses for Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, which is the next one we're watching? Um, Sounds to me like someone didn't wear a rubber. <laughs> That might be that might be true. <laughs> PSA, you know, wrapping up is half the fun. Finishing is the other half. Okay, so um that's our cue to finish this podcast. Thank you so much for other listening. Half of the fun. And until next week when we get to escape the clutches of the children of the corn. Uh good luck on your journey. Stay gold, everybody. Bye bye. Our theme song is a beat for you by Pseudo Echo. I forgot to say that earlier. Bye. Boom, This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart.